You're listening to the Midtown Church Sermon Podcast. Midtown Church is a family compelled by God's love to practice the way of Jesus together in Austin. Our big prayer is this, in Austin as it is in heaven. Learn more at midtownaustin.org. So, um, Jesus says some pretty difficult to understand things in here. Did y'all, did y'all any of those jump out to you? Yeah, like, uh, yeah. It, it's, been, it's been a fun week trying to figure out how to, how to like, explain this and, and first to be able to understand, like, okay, Jesus, what do you, what do you mean? Like, when he says things like in verse 10, uh, <laughs> that he is, like, in the Father, but the, the Father is also in, in him. <laughs> it's like, all right, Jesus is like, what, is, what does that mean? Or when he says in verse 12, uh, whoever believes in him will do the works that he has done and even do greater <laughs> works than me. Like, what? Like, what in the world does that mean, right? And then in verse 14, when he says, if we ask him anything in his name, he will do it. If we ask him anything in his name, he will do it. And I think, well, I, I hope I know what that means, but I don't know, because that, uh, that sounds a little too good to be true. And like my daughter, Della, has been praying for our one-year-old dog to quit jumping up on her for over a year, and she ends every single one of those prayers in Jesus' name, amen, and our dog is still jumping. So I'm still thinking, man, I don't know. I don't know. What, what are you saying there, Jesus? But as hard as those statements might be to uh, understand. This morning, I want to help you see that, uh, or I just want to confess to you, I guess, is that uh, it's actually what Jesus says in that very first verse that's, that's really kind of tripped me up this week. It's what's really, I just haven't been able to get past. See, when he says, um, let not your hearts be troubled. Like, like that gets me because that's a that's a command. Like, let not your hearts be troubled, or as the uh, NIV, which uh, uh, Alice read from this morning, it just says, "Do not let your hearts be troubled." And I think, is that even an option, Jesus? <laughs> right? Like. Uh, this week, I read a study, a recent study by the University of Alabama. And that study found that uh, symptoms of depression and anxiety rose 11% to 40% from April 2020 to April 2021. And since then, uh, Russia's invasion of the Ukraine and continued economic disruptions from the pandemic, uh, financial uncertainty in the markets and layoffs in many companies, along with story after story of mass shootings and the culture war over abortion and sexual identity and climate change, along with the continuing trend of loneliness and isolation in our community have only exacerbated that problem to the point now that we find ourselves living in the midst of a cultural moment that is marked by anxiety and fear and depression. But now, as the song goes, Christmas time is here. 
time for hope and cheer, right? But in reality, as much as we, many of us love this time of year, the American Psychological Association just released a report that almost half of all women, 44%, and a third of all men actually re- report increased anxiety around the holidays, due in large part to increased financial strain or difficult family relationships or the overall busyness and unrealistic expectations that often accompany this time of year. We're stressed out, we're anxious, we're afraid, we're troubled. Merry Christmas, everyone. <laughs> but in light of the reality of all that, here Jesus says, let not your heart be troubled. And I think if you're honest, if I'm honest, I hear that and I think, Jesus, that, that, that sounds great, but that also sounds pretty idealistic and unrealistic. Y'all feel that? But man, don't you wish it was possible? (laughs) Holy Spirit is welcome here. (laughs) Isaiah, I don't know how you made that happen, but that was incredible. Don't you wish it was possible? To be able to uh, face trouble and still be at rest, to have peace, to to have a heart that's calm. When Jesus gives us this command, friends, he's implying that it is possible. He wouldn't call us to do it if it was impossible. He's saying it's possible. And, and when you factor in the, uh, the, the, the situational context of when Jesus says this, he is making it clear that it is actually possible even in the most troubling of times. Now, Justin mentioned this last week, but uh, just to, to remind you all, like, you have to think that when Jesus, remember that when Jesus said this, it was right after he had told his disciples that he was about to be betrayed and that he was leaving. That's John 13. And that freaks them out. And you really can't underestimate or understate just how troubled they would have been by that news because, listen, the disciples had left everything to follow Jesus. They had left homes and families and jobs to follow him. And they put, in a sense, all their eggs in his basket. And they had seen him do the miraculous. And they had seen him proclaim that the kingdom of God was near. And they had every hope that he was the Messiah who was going to set Israel free from Roman oppression, and he was going to take the throne in Jerusalem, and he was going to reign with righteousness and justice, and peace would be in the land, and that everything that was wrong would be made right, and every crooked path would be made straight. They They were certain of that, and then Jesus says, guys, I'm about to be betrayed, and I'm going to leave you. And they think, what? There's no way, Jesus. Like, there's no way. Like, nothing has happened yet. We're still under Roman oppression. Things have not been rectified. What about the kingdom? What about everything that we've been hoping in you for? 
Nothing has taken place. You can't leave yet. We left everything for you. Now you're going to leave us? And their dreams and their hopes are like crashing down upon them. And that's when Jesus says this. Let not your hearts be troubled. Let not your hearts be troubled. And I think, what? How? Right? How? How, Jesus, if you're one of the disciples, you say, how? Like, how am I not going to be troubled when you tell me you're leaving? How, how, if my dream's crashing down, how, now, how? We hear Jesus say that in the midst of your troubles. Loved one passes away. Car transmission goes out, surprisingly. Doctor calls and says it's cancer. How? Well, he tells them how in the next statement. But I'm going to warn you. It feels really churchy. It's going to feel really churchy. It's going gonna, it's gonna to feel really simplistic, at least on first blush. So here's what he says. You want to know how not let your hearts be troubled? Believe in God. Believe also in me. Believe in God. Believe also in me. <laughs> and I don't know about y'all. Like, I mean, it's, it's good to be honest when you're in church. It's good to be honest anytime. But, you know, but like to be honest, like I hear that and think, uh, you got any other advice, Jesus? <laughs> because, look, I believe in God. I believe in God and I believe in you, Jesus. And, and yet I'm still anxious and troubled quite often. That doesn't really seem to be doing the trick. Like, y'all feel that? Now, if you feel that, and I feel that, then I think a big reason why is because we read into this idea of believing in God, believing also in Jesus. We read into that our own understanding of what that means. See, most of the time, when we hear the phrase, believe in God, we, we associate that with believe that there is a God. Right, And whenever we hear believe in Jesus, especially if you grow up in the evangelical church tradition, we usually associate that to, okay, believe that Jesus died on the cross for your sins and was risen and rose again so that you can be forgiven your sins and reconciled with God. That's, that's usually what we connect believe in Jesus with. And though it's good to believe in God, and it's super important to believe that Jesus did die for you and rose again, that's not what Jesus is talking about here when he says, believe in God, believe also in me. Now, what he's talking about here can best be summed up this way. Hey, I know that I just said I'm leaving. I know you're scared to death. But trust me. Trust God and trust me. I know you're scared. I know the news about cancer. I know the financial uncertainty. You just got laid off work. I know you're troubled. I get it. I get it. Trust me. Trust God. And trust me. And that's not easy to do, is it? When you're in the middle of troubling times. 
How are we supposed to trust him? How are we supposed to know that he's trustworthy? Especially when you're in the hard times, oftentimes it's the hard times that make us think that he's not trustworthy. It's like, God, if you're God, like you wouldn't let this be happening to me. The, the evidence of the tough circumstances is the proof that maybe, like, God, you're not actually real trustworthy. He, is. he says, in those times, trust me. What would help you do that? What, what would have to happen if you say, okay, <laughs> all right. If, if this happened, then I know that I could, put, I could at least I could discern if I really can trust you, God, if you really are trustworthy. I think the thing that would really help is if you could actually see him. <laughs> like if I could see God, if I could actually not just see him, but in the sense of like having a sensory experience where I, like beyond knowing about God, actually am certain that I know God. Like I know his heart for me. I know who he is. I know his character. Like if I had that kind of situation, that kind of experience, that would help me trust God even in the midst of troubling times. And I, don't, I know I'm not the only one who feels that that would be helpful because uh, that's what Philip asked for in this passage after Jesus says, trust me, trust God. Let's get to verse 8. That's what he says. Um, Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father. And it is enough for me. Show us the Father and it is enough for me. Enough for what, Philip? That would be enough to know that I can trust God. I can trust God. I can trust you, Jesus. If you could just show me the Father, man, that would be enough. I'll be okay. (laughs) And what Jesus says in response to this request is somehow both confusing <laughs> and clear. It's confusing and clear because here's, here's what he says. Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, Show us the Father. Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not even speak on my own authority. But the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. Okay. Confusing and clear. (laughs) Clear in this way. Clear that it's, it's, it's very clear that Jesus is saying, Philip, you have seen the Father. You're asking to see the Father. You actually have seen the Father because you have seen me. For whoever has seen me, as he says, has seen the Father. But <laughs> exactly how that works, uh, rather confusing, isn't it? Like the intricacies of what he's explaining here, like how is it? Like that's, that's confusing. And, and you know, I, I hate to say it to you, but like you're still going to be confused after what I'm about to say because it's, it's just confusing. I mean, Jesus is, is speaking about the intricacies of the Trinity, that there's one God 
And yet three persons, Father, Son, and Spirit, all equally God and yet distinct as persons and complete union with one another, enjoying eternal love and community forever, eternity past and eternity on. And that's hard to wrap our minds around. I actually find some solace that you even have Jesus here giving us insight into the Trinity, and I'm still like, Jesus, could, I don't, could you say that again? I don't, I don't think you're explaining that well enough for me to understand. It's like, it's just hard to understand. But it is helpful to point out a couple things. First, notice that he doesn't say to Philip, Philip, I am the Father, and the Father is me. Now, he, he draws a distinction, and he says, okay, yes, there's distinct. I'm Jesus, and he's the Father, and yet, at the same time, complete unity. I am in the Father, and the Father is in me. Again, hard, hard to understand, but the idea here is that there is perfect unity within Jesus and the Father so to the point that he could say, whoever sees me has seen the Father. If you want to know what the Father is like, you need only know what I am like. And that is confusing, but that is clear. More importantly, friends, that is so comforting. It's so comforting. Because you get the, the point of all of this. What you have is Philip saying, show me the Father and I can know that I can trust you. That would be enough to trust you. And Jesus says, Philip, you don't recognize it, but you have seen the Father. You've seen me, you've seen the Father. Because the Father is just like me. And so let me ask you, Philip, can you trust me? Is that, an, is that enough for you? Is that enough for you? See, he's trying to help Philip understand that... Um, Every word that Jesus has said actually came from the Father. All the things that Jesus had done were actually works of the Father who dwelled in him. The healing of the sick, Jesus saying, Philip, that, that was me and that was the Father. The concern and love I showed to the social outcasts and the lepers that I touched and I healed and the prostitutes and the tax collectors that I had meals with and forgave, that was me. And that was the Father. The denouncement of the religious hypocrites, the righteous judgment upon them that I announced, that, that, was, that was me. And that was the Father who dwells in me. The, the bringing the dead Back to life, the little girl, Lazarus. That was me. And, and that was the Father who does his work through me. See, the washing of your feet just a few minutes ago, he could have said to Philip, that was me. That was the Father. You want to know how humble he'll go to serve you? 
you don't know how much he loves you. See me loving you. See me humbly stooping at your feet. See, Jesus is saying to Philip, like, I know that you have, you don't understand this fully yet. (laughs) But here's what I want you to realize. In fact, Jesus says, here's what I want you to believe. You've seen me. You've seen the Father. And all of that begs the question. It's not here in this passage, but it, it begs the question, is that enough for you, Philip? You said if you see him, if you see the Father, that's enough. I'm telling you, you have. Is it enough to cause you to trust him? Even in troubling situations, even with the announcement that I'm leaving, is it enough? And friends, that's, that's the big question for each of us as well. Is what we see in Jesus enough to cause us to trust him and trust the Father? Is what you see in Jesus enough to cause you to trust him and trust the Father? Even in troubling times. Is what you see in Jesus enough to cause you to trust in his and the Father's care for you? His heart for you is it enough to cause you to trust that he has the ability and the power and wisdom and love and grace to even somehow work whatever you're going through in for your good. Is it enough? Is it enough? Ask yourself, like, are you trusting him? Is what you see in Jesus enough? Lincoln's bringing it this morning, just worshiping back there. Okay. As many of y'all know, I I spent six days in ICU back in August. And um, I I was there because I uh, went to an eye doctor for the first time ever because my eyes had gotten really blurry. And while I'm in the eye doctor's office, this doctor checks my eyes, as they prone to do at eye doctor's visits. And uh, there, uh, she found that the blood vessels in the back of my eyes were bursting. So uh, I had blood pulling in the back of my eyes, so I could hardly see. And so she sends me immediately to the hospital. Uh, you would think that maybe she would have, like, called, call, like, she, she let me drive. So I was, you know, that was probably not real safe. But I made it to the hospital, and I get in. And while I'm there, they, uh, <laughs> they check my blood pressure, and it, it was 267 over 190. Oh. And so if you know anything about blood pressure, you know that's high. That's not, that's not good, not good. So they immediately admit me into the ICU. And and I had doctor after doctor after doctor and nurse after nurse after nurse come in and tell me every time they came in, they said, you shouldn't be alive. You should, like you, it's amazing that you're alive. I can't believe that you're alive. You hear that enough, it's pretty sobering, right? It's like, okay, wow. Now, when you're in the ICU for six days and your eyes are extremely blurry, so you can't really see the TV or you read your phone, and there's not a whole lot to do. <laughs> there's not a whole lot to do except there's, you know, it turns out there's a lot of time to worry. 
to get anxious, you know, to worry about, like, God, like, what, is my health going to get better? Is my vision going to improve? Is my family going to be okay if I die? Is my church family or y'all, what is that going to do to y'all? Are they going to be okay? If I do get out of here, how am I going to pay for this? <laughs> this is like financial, like hospital, like every day I'm like checking on, okay, that's got to be, you know, whatever. financially hard. Lots of things to worry about. You know what? Um, you know what I didn't actually do much of while I was in ICU? I, I actually didn't do much worrying. And I say that, I don't want you to think, like, I am not some kind of spiritual giant. Those who know me will not, along with that, I see that, Robert, yeah. (laughs) I've got so much room to grow. But honestly, while I was in the hospital, let me be clear, it's not that I, I didn't feel all of those things I just said and more. Those worries came to me. I just didn't spend a lot of time worrying about them. And you know why? Not because I'm the awesome spiritual child. Friends, it's because Jesus is trustworthy. It's because Jesus is trustworthy. And so I could take those fears, and I had those fears, but I could take them to Jesus, and I could say, Jesus, because of what I know about you, I can trust you with this. I know that you care for me, and I know that you know how to care for me and all of those that are in my life, and so I don't have to worry about this. And friends, I'll tell you, the reason why I could say that, the reason why I could spend six days in ICU and not just be an anxious ball of stress the whole time is because, in large part, to what Jesus communicates to us through Christmas. It's through what we celebrate at Christmas time. Because at Christmas, friends... Christmas stands as the proof that God really, really, really cares for you. I mean, there is hardly anything except the cross, which came as a result of Jesus coming in Christmas, that can say, all right, this is proof that God really loves me. And whenever you're facing these troubling, hard times that we face, you wonder, what's the reason for this? And I don't know. Oftentimes, you won't know. What is the reason for this? But because of what Christmas communicates, we can all know what the reason isn't. The reason isn't because God doesn't care for you. No, Christmas tells us, He absolutely is crazy for you. He absolutely cares. Why else would he come if he didn't love you, if he didn't care for you? And in addition, not only does Christmas communicate that God cares for us, but it communicates in a a powerful way that he knows how 
to care for us. See, because when Jesus came, he, he didn't come with the down from heaven where everyone could see him landing in Jerusalem, taking the throne as the king of kings. No, he snuck, into the, he snuck onto the scene. Born a baby, unwed, virgin mom, grew up probably in poverty, obscurity, misunderstood, dealing with the minutia of life for 30 years. Why in the world would he do that? Well, it's because Jesus wanted to be with us and because he wanted us to know that he knows what it is to be us. He wanted us to know that he knows how to care for us. Because he's been where we are. He's been through what we've been through. Hebrews chapter 2 says this. We are, Jesus, we're told there that, we're, that Jesus had suffered like we have suffered. So he's a faithful high priest who can sympathize with our weaknesses. So Jesus cares for us and he knows how to care for us. I love this quote by the late Dorothy Sayers. She says it this way. For, who, what, for whatever reason, God chose to make man as, as, his, as, as he is, limited and suffering and subject to sorrows and death. He had the honesty and the courage to take his own medicine. He can exact nothing from man that he has not exacted from himself. He has himself gone through the whole of human experience from the trivial irritations of family life <laughs> and the cramping restrictions of hard work and a lack of money to the worst horrors of pain and humiliation, defeat and despair and death. He was born in poverty and died in disgrace. He suffered infinite pain all for us. He thought it well worthwhile. because what we celebrated at Christmas, friends, really happened. We can know that God cares for us and he knows how to care for us. For Jesus has experienced every darkness that you have been through and more. If you feel alone and, under, and misunderstood, so was he. Have you been betrayed and hurt? So was he. Are you homeless? So was he. Have you lost a loved one? So did he. Are you facing death? So did he. Are you saying, but I feel that like God has abandoned me? Think about it. On the cross, so did he. Every place you could ever go, he has been there. Every darkness you can ever be in, he has been there and more. He did it all willingly for you. Friends, look at Jesus. See him and see the Father. You can trust him. He is trustworthy. You can trust his heart for you 
his heart for you. You can, you can trust that he knows how to care for you. You can trust that he has the ability and the power and the love and the wisdom and the grace to care for you. Friends, do you trust him? Do you trust him? If you really do, then this passage tells us three things will result. The first thing that we're told that will result is that your heart will not be troubled. Again, that doesn't mean that you won't begin to feel troubled or you won't you know, be tempted to worry or experience the emotion of anxiety. It just means that as that comes, you will be able to put it to rest. You will be able to not let your heart continue to be troubled because you will be trusting in him, knowing that he's trustworthy because he knows how to care for you and because he does care for you. That's one sign of trust in God. That's one thing that will result if you really are trusting in him. The second thing that will result from trusting in Jesus is you will do the works he does. You will do the works he does. Look at verse 12. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. Like, you know, as opposed to being overwhelmed by fear and anxiety, you actually will be strengthened to do what Jesus did, to step out and risk and serve others and care for the poor and the marginalized and proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God and the seek and the save the lost. Like you will get out there and you will aid and partner with him in advancing of the kingdom of God. If you're trusting in him, you will do the works that I do, Jesus says. In fact, he says, as you believe in him, trust in him, not only will you do the works that he is doing, he says, greater works than these will he do because I'm going to the Father. Greater works. Now, I wish I had 20 more minutes to explain what in the world this means, but I, but I don't, and so it's going to have to suffice it to say, at least right now, that when Jesus says that those who trust in him will do even greater works, the word greater could refer to quality or quantity, or both. Most people take it to mean quantity. As in, Jesus ministered to a relatively small amount of people in a small region of the world during his time. But as his followers trust him and do his works, millions upon millions have been ministered to, and the gospel has gone out from that small region of the world to the uttermost parts of the earth. And so that could be what this means, greater in sense of quantity, and that is very true. Uh, but I think, I think Jesus might be saying even more than that. But um, <laughs> this is where I don't have a lot of time to explain. But the key to understanding what, what could be, on a sense, what he could be saying more than that is that last phrase, You'll do greater things because I'm going to the Father. See, that phrase, because I'm going to the Father, going to the Father is Jesus' shorthand way to refer to three incredibly uh, world-changing significant events. <laughs> I'm going to the Father includes both going to the cross 
and dying for the sins of the world. And it includes going to, the, to his death and then rising again to show he's had victory over death, sin and death, and initiated or inaugurated the renewal of the world. And then that he ascended to the right hand of the Father where he intercedes and advocates for us to this day. That's all included in I'm going to the Father. He says, because I'm going to the Father, you'll do even greater works than this and think, why? How is that possible? Well, simply put, it's, it's I think Jesus saying, hey, everything that I did pre the cross pointed to something that was going to happen. Now, because I'm going to the Father, the works that you're doing are based on the finished work of what I have done. And in that, there is incredible power you could say it's greater. It's based on the finished work of Christ. So now as we minister, doing the works that he has done based off of the work that he has done, greater things can happen. More people can come and know him. Um, So it could be that, right? (laughs) Either way, don't miss the forest for the trees. Because What Jesus is saying is, if you trust him, you will join him. You will do the works that he has done. You will do his works. And the final thing Jesus says will result from trusting in Jesus is that we will pray in his name. If you trust in him, you're going to pray. You're going to pray in his name. It says in verse 13 and 14, Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified of the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Now, this doesn't mean that uh, if you end your prayer with a phrase, in Jesus is his name, amen, that he's going to do it. Instead, praying in Jesus' name means coming to the Father in prayer as Jesus' representative who is doing, the, doing business on Jesus' behalf. When we pray in Jesus' name, we claim to be acting for him. And someone who prays that way will always ask only what is God's will, or at least what is subject to God's will, since that is always how Jesus related to the Father. And so here Jesus is saying, as you trust in me, you will join with me in my works by praying in my name, and I will do it And as you pray, I will act for the glory of the Father. If you trust in him, friends, you won't be troubled. If you trust in him, you'll join him in his works. If you trust in him, you're going to pray as his partner, as his representative, joining him in his works that see him working through you and in you and around you as you pray as his representative, if you trust in him. And the question again is, are you trusting in him? And these results of, of, of faith that Jesus points to us here, they, they serve as proofs. They serve as ways to tell. If your heart is troubled, if you're not doing the works that Jesus has done, if you're not praying in his name, then let that inform you that you, like me, have room to grow in our trust in God. 
You have room to grow. I have room to grow in our trust in God. And so, what I want to encourage you to do off of all of this, this Christmas season, is to take time each day, preferably in the morning, and just reflect on what it is that we're celebrating and what that communicates about the trustworthiness of Jesus. To take the time to think about, Jesus, you really did come because you really do care. And because you came, I know that you know how to care for me. You've been where I am. You can see me through it. I can trust your heart for me and others in it. Call your heart to believe, friends. Take the time to meditate on what Christmas communicates. In addition, I would say it's also really good to meditate on the cross because the cross also communicates, and I guess most profoundly or climatically communicates that Jesus really does, that God the Father really does, that God really does care for you. He loves you so much that he would die for you so you can be adopted into his family. He cares for you to the extreme. Let that reinforce your trust in God or lead you to first begin to trust in him. Thank you for listening to the Midtown Church Sermon Podcast. We invite you to practice the way of Jesus in Austin with us because as we become more like Jesus, Austin will become more like heaven.